is a squirrel, and I might be paraphrasing here, but I ate that fucker. Welcome to the only podcast about movies, and in this case, the only podcast about The Revenant. My name is Matthew Kroll. And I'm Shahir Dowd. Along with me, we've got two special guests joining us today. Returning, returning by request... Jess Tucker. Hi, guys. Thank you for having me back. How many notes have you got today? Uh, I've got, I thought three pages, but there's four. Three pages, the most beautiful handwriting I've ever seen. Yeah, I can't read it. It like, hurts my like, eyes. If it's com- glory blinds me. I know. If you compare it to like the the pink notes that I have, uh, you know, I because knowing Jess was going to be on the show, I decided to take notes. Can you read any of this, by the way? Just, Riveting radio. Right yeah, yeah. Riveting read- audio only podcast. <laughs> let's, read- let's visualize this. We have another guest to hear. Wait, I'm, getting, I'm getting to it. I just want to know. I can read the word revenant. At yeah, the top. nailed it, nailed it. <laughs> who nailed else it. we got? Who else? And we, got? we also have my good friend Jimmy Ferguson here. Who Jimmy is a director and DP, a fantastic director and DP. You should check out his work at jimmyferguson.com. JWJFerguson.com. J-W Let Ferguson. the man say hello. <laughs> hello, world. Um, but uh, Such a good friend, by the way. He had to talk about his handwriting before he introduced you. Let's be very clear. <laughs> hey, listen. If, oh, the show, if sorry, we haven't established Jimmy, this sorry. show is about me, then we haven't done our job right. All right, all right. Uh, Jimmy, we brought you on board because you are a fantastic DP. Um, you and I have yet to work together, but we have talked about it on numerous occasions. Um, and we wanted to get your perspective on this, but um, tell us a little bit about yourself and your work and you know where you come from as well. Yeah, I, uh, I am a DP professionally, mm-hmm. uh, and I direct my own films as well. Uh, my background originally is in philosophy and photography. Oh, nice. And ah. that's sort of combined to make uh, abstract visual films that explore philosophical ideas. Yeah, I think you and I are going to have a good conversation about I also Revenant. think we brought him in for the right film. Yeah, exactly. Correct. This is the film. So, Matt, The Revenant. Yes. Um, first of all, the only thing I knew about The Revenant before go before actually seeing it was I know it's a type of D&D monster. And that's really <laughs> the only thing I knew. I pulled out the monster manual, but uh, that had nothing to do with what we were talking about. Jess, uh, I'm sure you did a dictionary definition of the Revenant. Oh, yeah. You did? <laughs> I, did. I knew it. I do knew you, you did. Do you yeah, want me to pull please. It up? Can yeah. you just tell me what the dictionary definition of the Revenant uh, okay. is? Of course you it's, did. It's from <laughs> the French word revenir, and it means to return, um, particularly from being dead. From it's being also dead. a medieval term. Um, referring to a ghost that returns Which to torment the living. was the Dungeons and Dragons monster I was talking about. Oh, really? Seems yeah. appropriate for the title of the film as of well. Of course, of yeah. course. I mean, it's better than the guy who almost died and came back. Right. I mean, yeah. Well. I mean, that's what I would call it, but, yeah. you know, I'm no Inaratu award-winning screenwriter, so, you know, whatever. Um, it's also based on the legend of Hugh Glass, who yes. is a yes. famous frontier, frontiersman. Um, and the synopsis from INDB is a frontiersman on a fur trading expedition in the 1820s fights for survival after being mauled by a bear and left for dead by members of his own hunting team. That's when it was the 1820. You know, I, I could have read that easily, but I was like, oh, is it, <laughs> is it like 1900s? Is it 1850? I don't even know. Yeah. No. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. And also, uh, I, I think one thing that was confusing for me was location. Like I knew sure, it was America, sure. but I didn't know where and in what no, sort but of it was historic- Canada. Well, they shot it in Canada. <laughs> I, thought, I thought it took place in Canada. No, I think it no, took place no, in Missouri. No, he calls out Yellowstone. He calls out Yellowstone at the end. It's, yeah. uh, it's, they start in South Dakota. Yeah. Okay. And then I also had North Missouri. Yeah, I had Like Missouri. they travel down. Yeah, yeah, travel through Missouri. Well, I guess my, my alternate title for this film doesn't work anymore, but I guess because this film is so seeped in its actual, the way it was done, the production of the film. I, if I had to name this film, I would call it Canadian Batman Begins. 
<laughs> because because it's kind of similar in a little bit in, in a little bit of story points, but if it's not taking place in Canada, I would have called it Canadian Inception, like with Leo and his, and his because there's his dreams memory. in it. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. I would go Canadian Inception more than Canadian Batman. Uh, well, what you know? What, has you know what the thing is, is similar. Let's get into politics here. There's probably no need for Batman in Canada. You know, <laughs> you want to you get into politics? I, I have a theory on why they shot in Canada. Okay. Well, tell tell us. Because they wouldn't let the Mexicans into American. <laughs> into America? Possibly. Possibly. Not yet. Well, in Aratu, though. He's Mexican. Yeah, exactly. So, so no, no, I'm saying if he's in charge of the shoot, he would have been, he would have had some, fl- you know, surely some pull on it's, who it's they the could Donald catch Trump it. era. Um, so, I mean, let's do the round table of like just initial thoughts before we get into spoilers. Sure. Like just initial impressions, what people thought of the film. Matt, how about you? Uh, I think it was a very good, very, uh, on, on as a whole, very entertaining film. I enjoyed my time while watching it. Now, let's talk about also when we do this sort of how we saw the movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jess, I know in particular you have a very interesting story about yours, but the uh, mine is not so. It basically... Uh, I was able to see a screener. Granted, I saw it on my projector, a uh, mm-hmm. good old eight or so feet screen. So I got the, the the visual punch of it, but I did not have the experience of seeing it with a live audience. I can feel around. Jimmy cringing slowly, no, no, slowly I, dying I inside right now. He, yeah. he, he, yeah. uh, he can chastise me later. But uh, <laughs> but um, I, I don't think that particularly affected me uh, too much on this. I enjoyed it a lot. I thought it was solid. Uh, I didn't. And obviously the, the cinematography is nuts. Mm. Uh, and the way they made the movie is insane. Uh, story wise, it was solid. Um, it's not, it's not something honestly that I will probably watch again, unless I'm in the mood for something really just visual, like that I can have on and like actually not really story wise. It was okay. Right. Uh, visually it, it melted my eyeballs with joy. So uh, it's, it's got that sort of, I have to be in the mood for that. And, uh, imagine, imagine if you're in the theater, I know, I know, I know. No. So I, I enjoyed it and I would, I would suggest others go, uh, to do the same. Before, uh, what do you, th- you know, like uh, the Oscar nominations are out and the Revenant is leading alongside Mad Max. How do you, how do you feel with the Revenant possibly being the front runner of, you know, best picture, best actor, best director, best I, cinematography, you know? You know, for being the only podcast about movies, uh, <laughs> I've sort of lost my love affair for the Oscars. Sure. Um, <laughs> I, about no a, love lost here. About a decade or so of just the most predictable nonsense and the kind of the most racist nonsense. <laughs> uh, it, it's starting to wear very thin. And I don't particularly care. I would love to see Mad Max win because it's different. Yeah. Uh, and if I had to go on base pure enjoyment, I enjoyed Mad Max more than this movie. But mm-hmm. that's not to say they both don't have their own home in that space. Yeah. Um, I, I, if I had to look, if, if I'm going, if I was betting money on it, Revenant would beat Mad Max. I mean, Revenant would right, win right. more likely than Mad Max would but win. But you would be disappointed about that. Oh, I mean, yeah, on a personal level, but all the Oscars has been for me is disappointment for the last like three or four years. So mostly there's been (laughs) exceptions. I used to throw parties and stuff, guys. Like I used to get real into this shit. I had a red carpet with a green screen and like interviews with my friends and all this shit and games and bullshit and prizes. And then my sympathy for you has just gone to (laughs) (laughs) into something else. I used to love it. And now, uh, you know, who sings that song? I used to love her, but I had to kill her. Uh, I used to love her. But I had to kill her. Well, that was right my, that was a song by Matthew Kroll. Right uh, let's in. never speak of it again. Could be, I don't know. Shakir, <laughs> go. It because you sung it now. Yeah, it's all set up. Let's go. Um, I thoroughly enjoyed the film. Uh, my experience was I saw it in the cinema. I had the opportunity to see it on a, uh, as a screener, but I opted uh, away from that because I knew 
uh, and uh, Jimmy's going to chastise me on my pronunciation, but Emmanuel Lubeski, Chivo. Yeah, Chivo. it's a Guns N' Roses Chivo. song. Yeah. I'm sorry, it's, it was bugging <laughs> his, me. I'm his, back. His name's definitely not Spanish, though. It's it's. I think he's. What is, what's his descent? Lithuanian? I think or? it was Mexican. Anyway. No, well, no, I mean, he's Mexican, but his name is not. His, his, right, Lubiski. Yeah, it sounds Polish or something like that. Anyway, Chivo, uh, as his nickname is, is one of the master cinematographers of our time. You know, he shot so many movies that I love, like Children of Men, The New World, Yituma um, Bian, one of my favorite films yeah. of all time. Um, so, you know, for me that was worth an experience to see in the theater, just as Birdman was, um, you know, last year because, because of the, 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 the DP and the combination of Inaratu. So that, you know, I, I would urge anyone who has a interest in the technical side of filmmaking to go see this in a theater. Sure. Um, and, and oddly, I think Jimmy and I talked about this briefly. Cheater. Um, my, my experience of this was far richer than the Hateful Eight, which Absolutely. was was so hyped for its theatrical experience. Okay, um, right. I found this to be a much richer, Absolutely. much fuller theatrical experience than than the Hateful Eight. Which was. is so interesting, as you you know, we talk about film Boom, as the supreme visual form, and then you see these two examples with the absolute best digital with this new Aries sixty five camera and the mm-hmm. you know the the best film supposedly, which is you know a large mm-hmm. format film, but it's. You know, mm. you know. Also, it's antiquated. So they pulled it, this uh, format that hadn't been used in so many years, and you see the two against each other. And I think sixty five is pretty impressive. Yeah, and I think it has to do with actual storytelling and the style of the film. I, I found the Revenant much more compelling than the Hateful Eight. Oh, but um, but 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 what I found interesting about it was that. I, I like to do this thing, which is that when something's based on a true story, I'll go back and I'll like read where where the deviations are. And and for example, uh, last year a film uh, Foxcatcher, which I don't know if many of you saw, um, you know, I was I thought it was a really interesting, well made film. But when I went and read what the actual story was about, what what actually had happened in the real story, I kind of felt a little disappointed by the film. I felt disappointed by what the way that the writers had taken what had actually happened and turned it into a narrative. And I thought that they'd done it in such a way that that weakened what had actually happened. Now, in this, this is a, in the case of the Revenant, they've actually done the same thing, which is that there's a there's a fair amount of invention uh, with the Revenant, but I think it's invention for good narrative purpose. And I think the things that they've actually added into the story here, which we'll get into in spoilers, actually help the movie a lot. And for all the movie's bravado set pieces, and there are many of them. Um, I think the most compelling moments in this film are about human survival and, and about moments where, um, uh, glass is, is basically trying to figure out how to, how to get out of the situation he's, he's put in. Uh, and a lot of times I was like, uh, how is he going to do this? How is this going to work? And, maybe and too much, <laughs> yeah, maybe a little too much, but the actual true story uh, about what Glass did, and you know, um, you know, anyone can look this up, and it's not a spoiler for the film. But Glass crawled 200 miles on his feet to get back to 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 the you know to the fort that he was at. Crawled on his feet? Yeah, he he crawled on a broken leg. On a for, broken leg okay. for 200 yeah, miles. Yeah, he crawled. He wasn't on his feet. He crawled. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why I was gonna. Get, I was like, how do you crawl on your feet? <laughs> uh, you know. Um, so I think the there there are some problems philosophically with this film that I have. Um, but, but on the whole, as a, as an experience, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, I think, uh, 
Inaratu and uh, they're they're all they're all butchering. <laughs> I'm butchering all these titles, all these names. Okay, Inaratu and and um, Chivo deserve an Oscar. Well, I mean, who cares what who deserves an Oscar or whatever, whatever that means? Uh, I know there's a lot of talk about you know there, there's a lot of talk right now about like how how difficult this production was sure. and how much people had to endure in order to make this movie. Frankly, it's it's somewhat interesting and, and I think you see it on screen but at the same time I think the work stands for itself and it's such a, mm-hmm. a powerful experience that I think it's worth seeing. Gotcha. Moving on. Yes. Yeah well I would be bold to go so far as uh, to say that uh, this is only worth seeing in the theaters. I mean if you have an eight foot screen in your living room man, <clears throat> um, <laughs> that's not bad but it's it works as a visceral experience. I think it's it's rather poorly written and I don't think it's a very successful film in other terms so but it's a very successful film in that regard and I think you have to go to the theater to see this movie and then it becomes an amazing experience and a, an amazing film ultimately because of that do you think that do you think it's because just the the larger clarity of it or do you think it's because of actually experiencing it with a ton of other people or is it a weird hybrid of both it's because the film is so well crafted as a visual and oral experience that it's, it's totally immersive. And, and, you know, as what they're aiming for is to make, they kept the words that you keep seeing when they're interviewed is, you know, they're, we want, they want it visceral, they want it immersive. And, mm-hmm. you know, and, and Chio, he does all these incredible visual techniques that are just, you know, I mean, totally exquisite Yeah. in order to just sink you into this world. And, if you feel this world on a huge screen that's surrounding you with audio that's surrounding you, it just, it sinks into you in the way that that the film is intended to. And if you put that on a small screen, you know, in front of you in your living room and it's just not going to be immersive in the same way. And and I don't think the film works in that way. It has to be a theatrical experience. Right. Okay. Fair enough. What about, uh, uh, well, you've already mentioned that it had some story problems. Anything you want to elaborate on before we, you know, without spoilers? Um, well, I think it suffers from Hollywood syndrome, which is, you know, over explanation over, you know, over sentimentality. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that, you know, it also has this, this, it's a very simple story, a revenge story, which we've all seen, which should open up so much potential to then do all this amazing stuff. Because the story, I mean, there's not much to it. Everyone gets it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, you're sitting there like, okay, he's driven by, you know, his, I, we don't want to do spoilers yet, right? So he's driven by <laughs> certain yeah. things yeah. in his past and, and you know, revenge. Canadian be, Batman Begins. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And um, and that's that allows you to do all this incredible stuff visually, which Iñárritu and Chivo mm-hmm. do so well. Beautiful and, pronunciation. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well. No one else say it now. No. Come on. Bonjour. I'll jump in as you're saying the name. Yeah, we should record a bunch of scratch ta- tracks of, of Jimmy saying it and we'll and we'll just leave it blank. We'll of course, of course. Yeah. Um and and you know, and that's what they do well. And you know, the there's uh when you f- when you just focus on that, on their strength, then the movie's incredible. But they they then try to elaborate on the story and they try to put all this into mentality and they keep reminding you, oh, remember, this is a revenge story. Like, yeah, I got that right away, you know, and and then that just it just weakens the movie. And it's not enough to destroy the movie and still no. worth seeing. Mm-hmm. But when you take away the the element of the visceral of the immersive and you by by shrinking it on a small screen and, and you know, mm-hmm. meager audio and on a TV set or something, then 
it's just not, it right. just doesn't have right. the impact, the effect that it's intended to have and that it needs to have because it can't survive based on the other things. Yeah. All right. I can see that. Uh, again, and this is, this is my, not me backpedaling or in my defense, but, uh, I I think I got the closest to that as I possibly could. Oh, absolutely! Not there. Like I said, if you have an eight foot screen in your, in your yeah. living room, and it's beaming stuck. me directly into my eyes. I, I yeah. think I think uh, like if you have a if you're gonna watch this at home, you yeah, need a you, large large screen and a good sound need, system. It, it needs yeah. to be a cinematic experience. Yeah. So yeah, if you yeah, can yeah. recreate a cinematic experience in your house, then go do for it. it. But do it. but other, it's not at least it's still not as good. <laughs> at least turn yeah. the lights it's off. At least turn the lights off. But it's still not as good as the theater. And I would urge anyone even even you mm-hmm. go go to the theater and watch mm-hmm. it. it's, it's really worth it i mean it changes the experience and it is it is interesting to see it with other people because mm-hmm. it is so i mean it's sort of sensational like that some of the, the violence and the, how you feel the violence and feeling people cringe and yeah you know there's there's these moments where that everyone in there you just hear this oh you hear this movement in the seat yeah. and yeah, that yeah. does add something to the experience which is all is another element of it yeah too, sure well jess actually <laughs> speaking of seeing it with other people <laughs> yeah. i want well you can talk talk about your what you thought of the film but i also you told such a wonderful story at lunch the other day about <laughs> your your in theater experience jess i had an experience no one else wants to have okay so what i thought of it is i really liked it um, I, I, I think it's beautiful. Um, I did like that. I, I felt it like physically and emotionally, like you're describing. It's exactly. like there were actual physical reactions that people were having right. to the, to these horrible, traumatic, no spoilers, things are, we'll get there. <laughs> Spoiler alert. <laughs> bad things happen. Yeah. Yeah. Trauma happens. Um, I think what's sort of rubbing people the wrong way is the cadence of it is, not what we're used to. Like we're used to things happening really, really fast and that like fits into our day perfectly. And then all of a sudden something really, really slow like this um, feels more of like a disruption to your day rather than just like kind of like cruising along your day, going to the movie, seeing it and then walking right out, walking right out and then snapping back into how you would be go on about your day as you would have before. Um, it's cause be, I, and I think the reason that is, is because you feel the trauma that's happening and it affects you like it would if it were happening to you. And it's pretty unique. You don't come across that very often. Where yeah, you which go is to one of the greatest compliments to, to the filmmakers. Yeah. I think. Yeah, and it's true. And, and when the credits start rolling, no one's moving. It's just, yeah, it, I, uh, it was really quiet. Yeah. I, I heard from many, many people that it was a great movie, but it depresses you by the end like it was just sort of like a you like, know i don't even I, feel I, like it's I depressing yeah, I, but it's, it's at all. like it's like what you're saying it's, it's like this this feeling thing yeah. so it affects you emotionally but not in a depressive way it's just you felt something that has shifted your energy or where you were and now yeah. you have to deal with this this new place you're in you know it just right. takes it you, you back yeah. and then it you have to go out into society and, and face the world again after this experience and it's yeah, it's yeah well guys it snowed today in New York and I was really thinking about how I'm going to make it across the city so you know this, this movie <laughs> no, you lived it yeah this movie I, I lived everything yeah, <laughs> yeah but it, 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 you don't need to pay $600 for the <laughs> Oculus you hear you actually <laughs> lived it today <laughs> It's so true, though, but it is usually like very traumatic things that happen to you that wake you up in that way where mm. you're like looking at the leaves on the tree and you're like, that's that tree has more leaves than I have years left in my life. Like, Jesus you're, Christ, like you're, yes. you like start thinking about like that kind of stuff. It's really morbid. But um, OK, let me tell you about what happened to me whenever I went to the movie. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So I went in um, this. This came out in limited release here uh, in New York. And so it was during that limited release time and it was only playing at two theaters. And I went with my friend at like three o'clock on a Sunday thinking that no one would really be there. And we got there early to make sure we got good seats. And 
we did the thing where like I held a I held a seat for her and she went and got food and then we switched. <laughs> and as people started pouring in, it turns out the revenant was the frattiest thing we've ever done because <laughs> <laughs> they were frat like it was a like, frat boy movie. Yes. <laughs> and I had no idea that I, I was curious why there were so many bros there. And then my friend comes back to, from getting our popcorn and she's like, oh, yeah, like what doesn't even bat an eye. And she's like, yeah, the bros made Leo their idol after Wolf of Wall Street. Oh, oh my yeah. So of course. The, the bro- Which is the exact wow. antithesis right. of what that film exactly. should do. <laughs> but, <Yep. laughs> That's exactly what she said, too, yeah. was. They have no idea that he's yeah. like making, they was like making fun of them. Yeah. But that wow. kind of affected my whole experience because mm. there was like a lot of like bro action happening throughout the movie and the movie's pretty. A lot of high fives when there, people a, got hurt or. A what lot we, of like bro hair in the way and then like <laughs> checking, <laughs> like having to like dodge around because they do a lot of like subtitles yeah. and you're having to like look around like bro hair. And, um, <laughs> And then also one guy like next to my friend, he wasn't next to me, but he kept getting out his phone every three minutes and looked at sports scores. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. So I have, I mean, I I think that has got least to do with the movie as opposed to the cinema, like going to the movies this day is such a painful experience for me. I really dread it for those, like Mm -hmm. for those reasons. I remember like you and I went to Pacific Rim and we had to like tell some people to shut, shut the fuck up. Which is weird to do at Pacific Rim. Yeah. Uh, But no, it's just, it's, it's very funny because these, these dudes who didn't understand the Wolf of Wall Street (laughs) all dragged their girlfriends to the theater and made them see this thing that they thought, because now they love Leo, right? Like Leo's their little, their little false God. But would they love this? I mean, no, well, I don't think they did. Oh yeah. Okay. So they didn't, Uh, they were checking sports scores. Right. Right. (laughs) But I, you know, Yeah. I, I, it's it's kind of the movie you, you can you can kind of float in and out of. I mean, I, I feel like they would like certain parts of it, right? Say, it's so I, I, you can kind of, yeah, I mean, it's it, it's slow like enough. <laughs> it's slow enough that yeah, it's it's slow, I, I th- but it's slow, but it's is, still like but the violence this, isn't isn't um like uh, well, I don't want to get into too much. I'd say like I I would equate twenty percent of the violence to sort of a bro mentality, and the rest is just like painful, right? Like it's not <laughs> it's not like enjoyable violence, as weird as that statement sounds. It's, it's not like football. It's like training for football, right? Mentally, <laughs> Wait a minute. mentally, mentally training for non-American football. Yes. Right, right. Yeah, but I don't know. The reason in telling that story, it was just, it was just a weird vibe in the yeah. movie the whole time. It was just, you know, like, I had the opposite experience. I went to BAM, and it was, it was quite a, it was a mix of people, quite a few older people, and they took it really seriously. Yeah. Yeah. So people were really on edge and kind of. Well, you got. I mean, you got to like remember just, that and it was filled out, so everybody's crammed together and. And yeah, I, this is this is the director of Birdman, you know, like his follow up right, film to Birdman right. with Leonardo DiCaprio's sure. Oscar hope. So I feel like this is the movie people are going to take seriously, you know. But yeah, the the and the thing for me that's that's sad, and I think I think we kind of just we've touched on it in terms of like the cinematic experience, is that if you don't pay attention to the quieter moments of this mm-hmm. movie, you miss what this movie is entirely about. You know, like right. I, that, that's the way I feel, right. you know, like, and that's the, and that's the way I think Jimmy and I'm putting words in your mouth here, <laughs> but like, but like, Hey, you know, we're friends. Um, if you, if you are just drifting out of this movie and you're not really immersed in it, it is, you're going to, you're just going to see the violence and the, and the revenge story without the kind of subtext that it has, which admittedly is problematic, but it is to me the more interesting stuff in the film. Right. I mean, right. 
I can right. go anywhere for my violence shit here. Right. right. Yeah. You can go. No, I, well, but I liked it. About... I was there to hang. Like I, I got it. I understood. <laughs> you broed out. Yeah. And, no, she but it was, out. it was, I, no, <laughs> I, oh no, I wasn't broing out. I was, my friend and I were like isolated literally in the middle of the theater and we're surrounded. Yeah. Um, but it didn't feel like everyone else. There wasn't that solidarity in the room, <laughs> yeah. you know, like right, when, right. during the action scenes, people were feeling it because you have to pay attention in those moments. But like you're saying, it's like in the quiet moments, whenever you're really mm. getting wrapped up in the story. Then you got to know what's going on with sport ball or else. <laughs> <laughs> no, no offense to sport ball. I, I love sport ball. I just I, actually I don't. I just wish I did. Right. So I think the general consensus, we all enjoyed the film. We all highly sure, recommend it sure. yeah. and as a cinematic experience. Right. Yes. yes. And actually, yeah. as this, as we're almost at the halfway point without even getting into spoilers, look at us Four go. people. Yeah. I know. Uh, we should probably just get right into spoiler town. So if you're listening uh, in right now, this is the point. If you haven't seen The Revenant, you should probably switch the podcast off. Go watch The Revenant. Come back and join us later. Or if you have seen The Revenant, stay tuned for a spoilerific discussion. And here we are again. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, what basically happens is, uh, Belfort in round two, he just yeah, comes back. Jordan Belfort, Jordan comes, Belfort back. comes Wait, this back. is Jordan Belfort's great, 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 great grandfather. Right. It's a time, it's time <laughs> travel piece. Yeah. Uh, no, I got nothing. It's, uh, <laughs> oh, I really wanted to see you, you go with that. You just go? Yeah. No. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, I guess I'll, I mean, obviously what I was talking about before, and this actually isn't a spoiler. We could have talked about this before, but why not? Now everything's open. Uh, Production wise, and is why Jimmy, I'm excited to have you here. This whole thing with this, what camera was it? It's the Area 65. Okay, and they shot it all with natural light. Is that correct? Yeah, all yeah, in, in air all, exactly. Yeah, it's it's essentially. I mean, I think they cheated a little bit on the fire scenes. Right. That yeah. makes sense. I mean, it's not necessarily a cheat, but I think it's a no, good, no. I mean, in terms of it being 100 percent purely, mm-hmm. and also, I don't know what natural light really. Really means. Well, so what you I know, was it's, wondering, it's, yeah, yeah. So like, you know, you see in, in the very beginning, because I knew this, the, that's what they did. And there's a scene of, uh, I think, with their initial hunting party when Leo, his son, uh, Tom Hardy's character, and a couple people are like, oh no, Tom Hardy's character's not there. The initial hunt where they're hunting for food, where the pet, like in the very beginning where mm-hmm. the pelt base right, is, right. and they're out. They were stalking through the forest in one of the trillions of slow, slow things. Now you see it looks natural light. And then like you look in the distance and there's the the, the sunbeams coming through. And I'm wondering, I'm wondering if those, for instance, those sunbeams, now it was shot in natural light. Are those sunbeams and things added to it? I think there's a lot of post work done. I think so too. And there's nothing wrong with that. No, it's it's, the camera is incredibly impressive to shoot the quality that they did without lighting the fucking thing. Mm -hmm. Well, Well, I mean, natural light, I think it, I feel like lighting typically with lighting, we're trying to accomplish what natural light does on its own. So if, I mean, and I've, I feel like especially in low budget films, you know, for years, I always try to shoot things around time of day shoot at the right time and it just takes a long time to do that so people in hollywood you don't have you don't have time so you just use artificial light to try to recreate what nature would give you oftentimes i mean that's not always right. the case and this took 11 so, months nine. Sorry, yeah nine but but there there's a number of reasons for that uh as well it hasn't it has to do with uh they shot in argentina and in canada right uh, oh. to like travel for winters and, I, and gotcha. I think one of the things was that they wanted to be in remote locations so mm-hmm. When they were getting, you know, it would take them half the day to get to a location. Right. They would only be able to shoot for like an hour or two, and then it would take them the rest of the time right. to get out of that location. Right. Gotcha. And 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 also, I mean, they're they're very, I think they're very specifically choosing the times that they're shooting. Yeah, these it things. seems it's very seems, specifically. Yeah. And so much of the film is shot, 
you know, like this magic hour, which is mm-hmm. right before the sunrise, right after the sun sets or just as the sun is rising, just as the sun is, you know, just before the sun sets or the, the sun's super low on the horizon. And, you know, but I think they're, and the amount of control that they're doing, I think with just bouncing light, just, you know, bounce boards, shiny boards, mirrors and things. And, and then it's natural light, but it's like the, in the fire scenes, of course, like, you know, I t- think they're taking, you know, things on fire and moving them, to, yeah. you know, it's right. like, yeah. so it's natural, but it's, it's highly controlled. It's natural. Like things in the grocery store are say all natural because technically everything mm-hmm. is. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but so, uh, cause, cause the, th- the, the other film that I kind of kept thinking about a lot during, you know, in this conversation about natural light, and I think it signals a progression between the way we make films now is, uh, Stanley Kubrick's Barry Lyndon. Mm. And so the thing with Barry Lyndon was, uh, was that was shot entirely in natural light with natural candlelight. And yeah. they use these like NASA they, lenses, yeah, these which, special ma- lenses made that are so fast. Yeah, zero if stop zero point yeah. seven, I think, yeah. which are meant for the cold void of space. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and 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 Kubrick wanted to use them to shoot scenes inside castles entirely lit by candles. So he didn't want to put lights in at all, and he wanted to. I think his 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 rationality was is that he wanted to capture the 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 essence of the castle as it would be lit by natural light, not lit by artificial light. Um, because he felt that was important to the story and the architecture that uh, uh, sure. of, of the period, and it's beautiful, <laughs> and it is beautiful. It's a beautiful looking film. Um, but but the th- so the the conversation though with um, with the Revenant has less to do with lenses and the RE, and I think has to do with more with post production. Because the fact, the, the, the thing now is that you've got so much latitude in a digital negative. This is a four K digital, well, sixty five. The, the equivalent of a 65 millimeter digital negative. So it's a huge amount of data. Um, How which, many Ks is that you hear? Well, it shoots at 4K. Well, yeah, yeah, but it's, I mean, it's more it's, than 4K. It's, it's more pixel dense than, right. than, than a red camera. Um, so, so 200K. The, it's it's <laughs> 6560 by 3102 resolution. Yeah. But that doesn't even account for the actual latitude of the light that you get like that, that well, is just the image size that that's yeah. And resolution doesn't mean much in terms yeah. of image. Um, but it's interesting because digital still doesn't have the latitude of, of film. film. Well, of properly exposed film, of properly exposed film yeah. and, and properly exposed digital. Yeah. Um, but anyway, go on. I, I'm, I'm curious. Well, well I, I was just going to say the thing, the thing now, now first off, you've got someone like Chivo who knows how to light a scene. Total beast. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I always call him wide angle Chivo because he shoots <laughs> he shoots close-ups with a wide angle lens. I which mean, this give, movie was insane. Mm. The lenses that he used were so, I think, so, I think, so and, and we're going to get slightly nerdy here, but I think it's like... Oh, so, oh <laughs> no, we've already gone. Wait, start yeah. now. Yeah, okay. Just start getting nerdy now. I mean, like for, for most films, you would have like uh, a 12 mil in your arsenal, which you'll pull out like once or twice, and a 12 millimeter lens is like a super wide angle lens. This for, and, and, you know, like your standard stock standard lens would be a 50 mil or a 35 or something along those lines. Chivo only has a 12 to a 21 mil range in this film. Um, you know, so he's shooting super wide on everything, which means like when he's getting, instead of shooting a close up with a 35 mil lens, which is probably the most flattering lens you can shoot a close up on or a 50 or something like that. He's shooting it with a 12 millimeter lens, which is specifically designed for wide vistas and big landscapes. And he's shooting close ups of people's faces with that. That has this like slightly distorting effect. And it's a very unusual look to it. Yeah. It's, I mean, let's not nerd out too much. You know, mm. the, the sensor size plays into that too. But mm. but anyhow, I mean, it's it, it's this incredibly wide wide, um, wide lens. But I felt the distortion wasn't. 
it wasn't like this typical lens distortion you'd see. Mm. It's it's it does have an odd effect. Yeah. And partially because it just is so close. I mean, you see, mm. where, yeah, where, you see like Leo's breath yeah. fogging the the lens. You see blood splatter on the lens. I mean, this is happening throughout the movie. You know, he's so close. I mean, I, I was. Just thinking to myself, like, how many times did Leo bump his head on the camera? You know, well, it's like yeah. the choreography is amazing. I mean, to shoot 12 millimeter and to get a close up, the, the, the size of which, you know, to have Leo's head that big in the frame means the camera literally has to be millimeters away from his face at times, which means that the choreography between the camera and the actors is so tight. And yeah. there, there are like, like. And the horses. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's some beautiful horse shots. I love, in this I love the horse eyeball closes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. But the choreography does. It, it's interesting to me that the choreography of this film harkens back to the gimmick in Birdman which is the single take you know long well, that's kind of a thing you know yeah. he's been doing that forever he did that in uh, the the uh, one beautiful. worth the car <laughs> uh, Children of Men right where they, where no that, that's Alfonso Cuaron no no but Chivo I'm talking about yeah Chivo shot this, that and, yeah. and, and this is sort of Chivo's I feel like so much of his his style is these just these long takes that just sink you into the film and mm. and that one and he's actually was was I've heard in, in some kind of interviews I mean, he said that he was disappointed ultimately in in that shot in, in with you know the one the long one with the car which mm. they did all this stuff where you could remove and doors children and of men. seeds yeah. And, yeah and and you know it's carefully planned and because he people really paid attention to that and he doesn't want you to notice this stuff is intended to immerse you into the film and right. if you notice it he feels like he's failing i feel like and, because it's just not normal people no matter who you are those type of things will kind of pull you out a little bit even if it's just maybe, like that's yeah. cool the dude's won I, two oscars now is about to win his third probably everyone notices his work at this point well you know? i mean i mean <laughs> i i to me that's the success of the revenant is his work but um but i what i'm i guess i'm getting is that that's that's something that he's been working on for years now and years, which is developing this, this mm. one take immersive experience. And there he felt it was less accomplished because it was noticed. So his intention is, is not to have these things noticed. And I don't think a lot of common viewers would notice no. in no. the Revenant, the bear, for instance. The bear attack is all single take. And I don't think that right. you, yeah. people would pick that out. Right. You feel yeah. it. You feel like everything he's going, what he accomplished is his goal there and what he, in doing that. But I don't think if you ask someone mm. from the theater, did you realize that that was a single take? They'd right. be like, yes. Right. And, and I think to me, the other, the success of it is exactly what, what you're talking about there, which is that in Birdman, I felt the gimmick and I, I felt, I, I, I felt yeah, it was a gimmick yeah. beyond the movie. Whereas this uses, employs a lot of the mm -hmm. same techniques, but it doesn't feel like a gimmick. It feels very, um, part of the, the, the texture of this film. Right. Right. And yeah. I didn't and see Birdman. I think that's probably why it doesn't bother me. And right. I, I think that Chiwo initially was, I don't want to say opposed, but he, I don't think he really agreed with shooting Birdman and, and, and artistically agreed with shooting Birdman in one shot. And eventually he came around to, to think that it, it could work. But I know that he had some resistance to that. And I, I think that, I mean, he's just this amazing artist has incredible sensibility and, and, uh, you know, he's, it's a very sophisticated sensibility. Mm. Um, hey, well, you got to be careful what you get good at. If you don't like it, <laughs> yeah. then you don't get good at it because that's well, all he, people are going to want you to do. I mean, he, you know, like he shoots for Terrence Malick all the time and Terrence Malick's mm -hmm. films have gotten more increasingly beautiful. Um, you know, that's, that's, that's hard to believe, right? Yeah. <laughs> hard to believe given that where he started from. But yeah, so I, I mean, th that was my feeling about, uh, I mean, you know, was there anything else like before we get into the actual narrative of it? Or did you, you know? Well, have I have a question for you guys. Yeah. So to me, this looks photographically very real. And it's, mm. but I was surprised to hear you say, talk about the distortions and, and the fact that you picked up that things were done in post. Because to me, 
it looked it looks so real and maybe that's what's important but Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say the thing in post w- that I was referring to was the fact that if you're shooting a natural light and say you don't have a fill light on mm-hmm. an actor, in post you can increase you know the 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 range the dynamic range with of that the latitude scene. that yeah. they right. actually and have. The, yeah. the times of day that he shot, I think he had yeah, like yeah. you're talking about the latitude. I think that they picked the perfect times of day to shoot this stuff, and I think that that allowed them to do certain things in post. And I, th- I, th- I mean, I really don't know, but I think that certain fog effects were added in post yeah. and yeah. things right. like that and, and that yeah. and certain and beers. light streets and <laughs> right, things and, right. and, and, well yeah and, and buffalo and, and wool yeah. well that gets me to my one major criticism visually of this film is I really it, it's it's kind of interesting because you know their goal and Chivo as a DP specifically his goal is to make something as natural and real as possible and I think he accomplished that to such a high degree that then some of the effects, some of the CGI stuff, I felt was really fake. I felt mm-hmm. the animals were horribly fake. And I, I mean, this is one of the worst insults I could say to my, my, my boy Chivo there. I, I, I don't want to insult it anyway, but, yeah. but I mean, it's not him doing that work. But, you know, as in Gravity, which, you know, he's, that's all this, this uh, CGI stuff and he's controlling all that. So he, he must have had a hand in this stuff as well. But I thought because he, he accomplished such naturalism, such, you know, this feeling of it being real, right. that when it, wasn't real except for like the subtle stuff like maybe fog effects like I, I could buy all that easily but so many of the animals in there just like god and like the opening shot you're talking about they come up there's like this elk there or something i mean it just it looked really fake to me and yeah every every animal uh well i will say this with the exception of the bear i think obviously they gave the bear a lot of well here's the thing i mean how many of you have seen a bear have seen a brown bear like in person <laughs> I mean, in like the zoo. Or? No, but like in, no, like in front of. Oh, sure, in the zoo. Oh, would be I mean, oh, other, yeah, other than the, zoo, okay. other than the time I was attacked by one. We have <laughs> nice. We uh, we in New Hampshire, we have brown bears. We have them all over the place. I've seen them a lot. Not that big. That thing was fucking huge because they needed to make it a monster. Yeah. But I've seen them run. I've seen them stand. I've seen them do all this stuff. To me, that bear, while they ex- exaggerated some features to it, also felt the movement of it felt very real. Everything else, every other animal in that thing. Now, granted, I haven't seen uh, bison or buffalo or whatever the fuck those things were being eaten by the wolves. That scene in particular was awful when he comes over the top of the hill and he sees all the animals. The wolves are attacking the one. I was like, this is some fucking (laughs) amateur hour shit. And and, 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 I I didn't feel any of this. I I felt that as well. I also I felt that about the bear, man. I really felt the bear. And I don't. I, I did think this, think about this after. I was like, we know I've never seen a bear attack someone. And I've never seen so, a bear attack someone. I well, wasn't. <laughs> so what part of my problem was like the realism of the attack, but Chivo, I guess, found a video of a bear attack and they, they staged some of this based on this video, which I haven't seen. I want to, I want to try to see if I can hunt it down now, but. Werner Herzog's grizzly man. Well, that's kind of, I did think of grizzly man. And, yeah. and where is, uh, where's, where's the, the, the guy from grizzly man? Mm-hmm. He's well, he dead. Died. He died. Yeah. He died. <laughs> Eaten by a bear. Yeah, he got eaten by her. But I just <laughs> felt like the, the play that the bear had with, with Leo and all this stuff, it just felt so staged, so fake, and, and just the movement. And it was on some of the the harder movements of the bear, when the bear would move more quickly, pounce, and like, you know, put its paw on his head and like just smash his bag and all these sorts of things. I just, like, I just felt, God, this is so they fake. They do, they do do that. That's the thing. Right. Too. But, but what, what's, what's the human's reaction to that? Is it just like, oh, or I mean, it just, that doesn't seem like well, realistic. I mean, well, I, this movie, and I'll get into it more. I don't want to sort of jump into this yet, but there's a lot of things with Leo's character in particular that I feel, uh, Shahir, that you, and I don't know how you feel about this stuff. We'll get into it. You normally rally against a lot of things story wise and sort of the way characters act wise in this movie 
you normally rally against this stuff and you call it kind of convenience for story's sake, for moving the script along. Right, right. There's a lot of that in this movie, and I think a lot of the, even now I'm getting sort of into a real nitty-gritty part, but with that bear attack. By the way, so what happens is Leonardo DiCaprio is out after they get attacked by Indians at their pelt base. Uh, they have to get on a boat and get away from Indians. They've been trying to get these pelts. They got hired with the, by the military or something to get these pelts for whoever. That's their job. Uh, him, Tom Hardy's kind of a dick in this. I'm just trying to go through the whole thing. Uh, then they get on the boat. They, they ditch the boat to kind of get rid of the Indians. They think the Indians will follow the boat down the river, and they start. They make camp at this place, and they have to trek across the mountains. And while they do this, they set up camp, and Leonardo DiCaprio's character goes out to, I guess, hunt. I don't quite remember. And then he gets attacked by a bear. That's where we're at. A very he real sees, bear. Yeah, he sees two baby bears. And then he's like, oh shit, that means there's a mama bear and there absolutely was a mama bear. So there's yeah. a big long shot of Leo getting his ass beat to <laughs> fucking hell by this bear. Now, the way the bear attacks. He, won, he wins. He does win because <laughs> he's the only one alive. He does a lot of stupid. That was so, something that bugged me about this was. And again, you never know how you're going to react to a, a fucking bear attack, right? But he's he's in this in the story he has. Uh, a half Native American son. He back in the day, you get these flashbacks of like his old life with his Native American wife. And then there's some tragedy happened and she dies. You're not quite sure yet at this point in the film what happens. And so now he's with his son, but he he's kind of the um, the 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 trope of the magical white man in this sort oh, of scenario. Yeah. He's the dance. Right? He's, he's, he's dancing dance the wolves. wolves. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so he's supposed to have all this information, right? Like he's supposed to know all this shit to the point where there's a moment later in the movie that I'll talk about that I wanted to punch whoever wrote it in the face <laughs> but so he's supposed to be that guy right yeah, only one he, he does yeah he does a lot of things in that bear attack that i was always taught not to do <laughs> when in the woods and if you encounter a bear uh he first of all tries to be these weren't new hampshire indians i know he tries to be sneaky in the beginning and like get his gun up quick and obviously the bear sees him and he can't do it and he gets nailed on the ground then you are actually supposed to play dead which he does he gets his ass beat you know it grabs him by the back and whips him around it does that dog thing where they try to like break you by Mm -hmm. whipping you back and forth and then it pins down on the ground he acted dead and the bear walked away then he does something real fucking stupid is starts to move and grab his gun again <laughs> when he could have honestly just either stayed there and left unless there was the thing I was thinking about is what if the mama bear was trying to feed the cubs like if he wanted that dead to feed the they were really the close yeah yeah so I think the mama bear leaves to go over to the cubs to check on the cubs and maybe even have the cubs come back and be like yeah here's dinner <laughs> so Leo instead of grabbing I believe his knife right away grabs his gun and tries to shoot the charging bear again in the face. Mm-hmm. If you shoot a bear in the face with a low caliber weapon, and these are old weapons, so I'm guessing it's pretty fucking low caliber. <laughs> all it does to the bear is piss it mm. off. Which it does. Which it yeah. does. Now, luckily, eventually in the scene, you see he actually got him in the neck, which eventually saves him from this attack. So there's a lot of sort of conveniences that happen around this. whole this movie scene. is very convenient. Well, well yes. uh, But I, I, I wouldn't like... I wouldn't like damn Hugh Glass's character for not having been to Boy Scouts at this point. It's 1820s America. But know? he also but he's lived he's, beyond Boy Scouts. He's beyond he's, Boy yeah. Scouts. They're yeah. setting him up in this movie like he just knows shit. He knows the wilderness. That's why that's his job that's, on this. Yeah, expedition. that's what he's doing there. But but in in the real story, this did happen, and he did win the bear fight, and he did fire at the bear, and you know. And defeat the bear. So I mean, that actually happened. Sure, right, but the staging of it. The is, staging yeah. of it. I could. And I could I, argue. I, yes. I felt the staging of it was. It felt very fake to me. Again, I don't know facts mm. about this. I don't. I don't know how bears attack. But it just. It felt fake to me. And I thought that the mm. some of it was the CGI stuff, and just. But also just the the 
dramatic action of it. I just thought it's. I mean, I I have no, <laughs> I have no empirical evidence to suggest that <laughs> what Leo did is like would just get you killed. I'm sure it probably would. Um, but no, no, and, 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 but this, this it, also, but, I, but I felt that that scene was so was so well staged uh, that I didn't yeah. like. I just yeah. bought into 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 what was happening with his character at that moment. A hundred percent that could have happened yeah. frame accurately mm -hmm. when it happened to the real dude back in the day. It absolutely could have. We could check the tapes. I'm yeah, sure. Yeah, no, bring it back. Roll it back. <laughs> I mean, this is not the greatest flaw in the film. No, so no, I think no, we, no, can, no. We, we can move, move on, on and yeah. get this a little more important. I would also give him the excuse he's being attacked by a bear and so it's, you might panic a little bit <laughs> yeah. and not do what you're trained to do. <laughs> yeah. Sure. That's very generous. Yeah. I'll give him that. hundred <laughs> percent. So listen, Leo, I don't, I don't know who taught you how to be in the woods. <laughs> fucking get your shit together. And, and maybe, maybe, maybe they, back then there was, you know, the funny thing is too, though, and now I'm sort of talking about, it, I don't want to hang on this too much, but maybe back then there were different sort of ways to deal with bears that maybe, maybe he reacted to the same way, like native American Lee, that he would have been taught to yeah. react to a bear. I don't know. We know now sort of things that maybe I don't fucking. You, you know, I don't you know, think I'm we know excuses. things like but, that. But here's the thing. Just, just one point. The thing. The uh, the thing that's interesting to me in the film is the addition of of Hawk. Um, uh, His son. Yeah, Leonardo DiCaprio. Oh, Hugh Glass's Pawnee son. Um, Side note: I could only think, think about of Parks, Parks and Recreation, Recreation. Yeah, when the they kept saying Pawnee, yeah, Pawnee was, Indians, because that's the, the town in Parks and Recreation. Is I was doing the same thing. <laughs> anyway, um, the thing that I I was. You know, because because the film is so much about um, fathers and sons, and again, I've just had a, a baby. Is it? Yeah, I think it is. Is it? Yeah, and so and so the thing that was interesting to me in the bear attack was the cubs, and I was actually on like so so when were you on team bear? I kind of I it wasn't so much that I was on team bear, but I was kind of like when I saw the cubs and I saw that the bear had been killed, I, my heart went out, you know, that what I felt bad for was the fact that these cubs had been orphaned. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, I didn't, you know, so to me, that was what was interesting about it was the staging of the scene around the cubs and the fact that he'd seen the cubs. Um, and then, and then, you know, he knew immediately what that meant. And then he kills this bear. And then we see the cubs, you know, the last image we see is of the cubs. And so to me, what works in that scene is the staging, you know, the central single take that leaves us with this image of the Cubs. And it might just be that I'm a new dad, but that, you know, <laughs> I mean, no, 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 that's, that's absolutely from a, from that's a visual fair. storytelling. I totally think that's on purpose. I yeah. think that's, it, there's a weird dichotomy there that to, to his sort of story with his son and all that jazz. Mm. I, I, mm. I mean, sure. Let's go with, yes. Yeah. Uh, I, I feel like this is about, Will like this is about like our relationship with the wilderness because mm. I think that there's things that happen with nature that are just nature in action. Like we see the buffalo stampede, we see the wolves. Um, there's I think there's an avalanche. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And none of those are consequential. Like nothing that doesn't really even affect Leo's character or sorry, Hugh. Yeah. Hugh Glass. It's Leo. Uh, yeah. like, <laughs> it doesn't even really affect him. We see a lot of like just like nature in action and then at the end of this, um, whenever, you know, it's like no matter, like after Tom Hardy dies and, and sorry, just jumped right to that. Yeah. Uh, and Which didn't happen in real life. <laughs> it didn't happen in real life. Yeah. Um, but it's sort of like nature is just going to keep on 
being nature. Like it won't matter now. Yeah. That these there, people are gone. There, I, you know, uh, I always think about um, a Lars von Trier film, Antichrist, where um, one of the one of the lines in that film, or I think maybe one of the the liner notes about that film was that von Trier was talking about the fact that nature is indifferent to human suffering. Yes. Like we can suffer as much as we want and nature don't give a shit. And I think the interesting thing to me in this film wasn't so much the addition of, well, it was the addition of the sun, but it was the way that this film kind of plays with two different philosophical out, outlooks on God. Um, and, and the way Western culture looks at God as a singular entity and, and even the rejection of God, you know, which uh, Tom Hardy's character, John Fitzgerald talks about at some point, you know, I saw God was a squirrel and I ate that fucker. Uh, and then at some other point he says, I should be, uh, I, I've saved your life twice now, which means I am God to you. Um, versus uh, a slightly more, um, uh, I want to say Aboriginal approach to God, which is God is in nature itself, which is that God is, is, is uh, simply indifferent to our lives. And I think the film kind of plays with those two dichotomies, yeah, even yeah, yeah. even towards the end of the film, where, where Leonardo DiCaprio, uh, where Hugh Glass is about to kill... Revenge uh, is in God's hands. Yeah, and he, and, he, and he tosses him into the water and says, revenge is in the hands of the creator, not mine. Which, by and, the way, was pretty weak but yeah well but no i mean i actually i bought throws it. him in the water weak to, to sauce the, to the like already like stabbed and beat the shit and he throws him well, to the indian well, no, but i think i think he, I think like, he does his epiphany moment well, Come on. He, okay so he does to he does he, he uh, i think what he, he's doing there and it is kind of problematic because he he does it in the face of these of, of these Native American tribes who are ready to kill him. But what he's doing, the way I read that was that he is going to offer Fitzgerald's um, a chance at life in the same way that he took his, his chance at life. But That's no. the way I read that hold scene. On, that, hold on, hold on. Why so would that again, not be the case? Listen, Canadian <laughs> Batman Begins. I'm going back. Yeah. First I thought it was a joke. I'm actually legitimately serious. Yeah. Have, has everyone seen Batman Begins? <laughs> yes. I'm a, I'm okay, aware of the Batman mythology. Okay, no, yes. don't worry about that. So Liam Neeson's character, Ra's al Ghul, and Batman are fighting on an out-of-control train. And there's this whole thing where they're fighting, 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 and then Batman hasn't killed, Batman hasn't killed, Batman hasn't killed, and the train's getting derailed, and it becomes very clear that because bombs and things that Batman did and things falling, that basically they're all going to die unless they get out of there. And Batman's last line to Raja Ghoul before this train rails into a fucking building is, I'm not going to kill you, but I don't have to save you. And then he bat zips away and his conscience is clear because he, quote, didn't kill him. Yeah. He fucking killed him. <laughs> right, Leo's exactly character, that, this yeah, whole yeah. let's leave revenge in God's hands. Uh -uh. Yeah. Let, me, let, nice, me, let me chase you, you know. Poetic sentiment. For, yeah. for and he has that epiphany, sure, but at the same time, it's the epiphany of, Oh well, the water might kill him, or maybe these Indians will kill him. I don't have to kill. Like it's it, no, it's he knows not, to but have an epiphany but after it doesn't matter. But in the beginning of the, the the whole thing with the film is that Leo is left for dead, and by all accounts, he should be dead. He literally drags himself back up out of a grave. He should have died. Sure. And so, so to me, you know, like even the title of the film, The Revenant, the man who comes back from the dead, him tossing him that way is kind of him saying. I will, you know, like I am. It, the, revenge is in the hands of the creator, not in, me. In case your multiple stab wounds and the the, the rough river Dude and got, the Indians don't kill you, you're you're set. Hey, there's a million things that should have killed Leo, and he didn't die. You know, Hugh yeah. Glass's character, and he didn't die. Right. Yes. So, I, but then, but no, no, no. Is, but if that's true, one. Sorry, one more thing. What if if. If that's true, yeah. then he should have just left him on that right. bank to bleed exactly. out and maybe try to crawl back himself instead of throwing Indeed. him to two, really three definite forms of death. 
Yeah. Sure. Sure. I, I would. Just, yeah. I would. He could have even somehow, you know, pleaded that they don't kill him or something because he had that power, obviously, from I mean, help the girl. So I mean, I I think his moment of that epiphany, I I first I was starting to cringe, and then I was like, oh, I think I can buy this. And then it, it was it was that as soon as he put him in the water, mm-hmm. looks at the Indians, he's then he grabs the body and he struggles what? and he's got a you know messed up hand messed up foot he's like i'll beat the shit and he drags him in the water and there you go i mean well, that was on, the problem on, but I just had. remember one other thing that happens which is that which is that leo oh, hugh glass's character himself probably feels like the indians are going to kill him but they don't because he ends up being the person who rescued uh their do- uh, the I daughter i mean i knew they because, weren't gonna kill him he didn't know that chief, chief writer's convenience <laughs> yeah. yeah exactly i mean yeah no the, again <laughs> it, this is this is where the where the film gets philosophically problematic and it's something that you mentioned earlier which is that that leo plays the uh the the hugh glass character is rewritten and this was not the case in history as the as the white man with native affection, you know, like dances the, the wolves. yeah, he's the dancer with wolves. He's, uh, or the, the avatar for those of you, yeah, in the, the avatar, last the lone ranger, <laughs> even, you know, it's and, Fern Gully. We watched Fern Gully. <laughs> um, so, so to me, the, the film gets problematized by that, but just go yeah, ahead. Yes, yes. Sorry. We've been rolling up. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, it's okay. We're um, burrowing I, out here. <laughs> <laughs> You're surrounded. No, I was just going to say, um, that, I, I had written down in my notes that they Fitzgerald and Glass become the same person at the end. Yeah. And Fitzgerald keeps saying, that's Tom Hardy's character, he keeps saying throughout the movie that he um, that he's not afraid of death and that he has nothing to live for and he doesn't care. And then Leo gets to that point too. And I'd also written down, he dies spiritually when his wife dies, emotionally when his son dies, and then physically, like literally physically dies. Yeah, and, he comes well, back. Yeah, well, not literally, but, and then comes back. Um, and then all that's left is vengeance. And then whenever... And Fitzgerald come- says to him as well, right before that moment, he says, I hope you, you know, you've back. earned your revenge. Mm-hmm. I hope you enjoy it. It won't bring back your son. Uh-huh. And I, I, that to me was the crux of the film. Yeah. I, the reason why Leo throws him into the water, yeah. you know, cause I feel like revenge. No, no. Leo, uh, Hugh Glass's character is essentially saying it's not up to me. Well, if it w- if he was saying that he wouldn't have done anything, he would have got up and walked away. Yeah, but- he wouldn't have thrown him in the water to die, or then let him float to the Indians he winked at to die. But by all accounts, Hugh Glass should have died himself by by a number of reasons, things that ex- happened to yeah, him. Yeah, I think he was expecting to die. Yeah, yeah. If I yeah. had read this, I would have been uh, looking for a better screenwriter. Really? Yeah, no, yeah. Like screenwriter. Okay, the the. It's Inaratu and Mark, uh, I forget the other the writer's The writer is credited for vac- vacancy. Yeah. It's like the number one film that they're like known okay. for. Which... Oh, really? And it's based on a book as well. So Mark Smith wrote, uh, yeah, Vacancy 2, the whole Vacancy <laughs> Martyrs <laughs> and The Revenant. Yeah, it's, it's quite a jump to go from Vacancy to The Revenant. But, you know. Uh, well, there was a lot of writer problems with this film. Where, where this film excels visually, it stumbles a lot narratively yes uh and and a lot of ways again and i and here's the thing shahir you've trained me mm-hmm. in your hating fun ways you've <laughs> trained me to look for these things because and i think this is this is the difference in in the dumb action movies that i like right yeah. i think because of it it's a dumb action movie i don't care about smaller things can be Jurassic world. Everyone acts like a fucking idiot. So the plot moves on yeah. because the movie is big and dumb. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I think we've talked about the second thing that I have. Yeah. That I have issue with when a movie is so wonderful that it's, it's like 90% perfect. And then it doesn't stick a particular thing that stands out and makes me damn the movie more than a, okay. Movie that fucked up a little bit. Yeah. So in this case with these 
fucking some of the best cinematography I've ever seen. Mm. With techni- the technical acumen to pull off this entire film, just gorgeous, wonderful actors giving phenomenal performances. Yeah. But when you have Absolutely. these conveniences that are normally reserved yeah. for big dumb action movies yeah. to be the driving right. force of right. your film. That really threw me out. So what? What? I'm okay. So there. I mean, I remember there was one moment in the film where, like, he, and it was like, I was like, oh wait, how did that happen? He he crawled to the. He was crawling across the top of this cliff. Sure. And then and, you know he was like looking down at the at, at the Missouri right. River, and, and the next first, shot he's at the river, and I was like, yeah. wait a minute, I don't how the fuck that. did that happen? That's a that's, jump. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, a, well, you, no, well, the one the one where he's sleeping, and after he helps the girl, and he's sleeping under this tree, and then he wakes up, and then there's suddenly an arrow, and they're, they're right on top of him. He jumps on the horse and rides and falls. I mean, that is absolutely and completely ridiculous. Yeah. Right. Like, and I mean, again, the story, we know this entirely, the injuries he sustained, and I don't know the, the time differential, so you can play with sort of how long things took. Yeah. Uh, right. The time differential of his injuries that he receives aren't enough. Even if, even if like, again, I'm, this is me nitpicking reality in a film. I, that's dumb. But like that, it just was like, Oh, when he had to walk, he just could sort of walk and live. Right, I know and it, just, it kept. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I'm never, I'm talking about more even specifically. I'm talking about randomly running into the. I guess it was the French who had the Native American woman, mm-hmm. right. and then he decides to free the Native American woman. Then, for no reason, what he stuck around the other Native American guy he ran into conveniently to feed him. Then all of a sudden he just leaves the Native American woman somewhere else because story. Why not? And then it just so happens that at the climactic battle. Of him and his adversary, that his entire resurrection revenge, his fucking scorpion from dun, Mortal dun. Kombat story is coming to fruition. <laughs> he, all of a sudden, the that that exact tribe with the father who's kind of looking for that daughter he rescued comes through, and that's what spares him while murdering his adversary. The, this, I mean, the, like again, this kind of um, the film that that reminds me of is Training Day. Uh, at the end of Training Day, like a character like bumps into another character who I he's happened to save. I didn't mind that um, Training Day, uh, and I and I and to be fair, I didn't mind it in this film because I felt like it wasn't out of the blue as much as everything was set up. It's bad set up, but it's, it is set there's up. A, no, I, there's there's no. this, this other thing yeah. that, that that we see all the time, which I I, I think you know I see it in the roots in, in a, a weaker Kurosawa film called mm. The Hidden Fortress, which yeah. apparently was uh, the, the an inspiration, inspiration for, for Star, Star Wars. Wars. Mm. And then you see Star Wars like kicked off this whole trend, and it's and apparently like, Kurosawa had this team of writers to make Hidden Fortress. He walks in, he says, "Okay," and he would set up an impossible situation. And every night he would go home and think of an impossible situation and he'd go to this team of writers and say, now they're in a cave and they're surrounded by all these samurais. How do they get away? And then the writers would have to write them out of this impossible situation. Then he would give them another one. And, and this idea, this mentality, which Gravity, I thought was one of the worst examples of yeah. this, you know, it's yeah. horrible. It's like, and I thought this film suffered from that too. It's just, it just doesn't, it often doesn't work. And Even Kurosawa didn't, didn't quite pull it off, in well, my opinion. The, you and know, it but, didn't need to do half of the things it did conveniently to do the, the what I feel the the driving force into the story they were trying to tell. It didn't need any of that. Exactly. But this weird Hollywood bullshit that you normally right, rally against yeah, here right. seeped its way into exactly. this movie. Exactly. That, that's what I was talking I about earlier. I guess the difference here is to me is that even though, yeah, I, I can agree with you that the sum of the setup is bad. I still feel like it was still set up, and I and if, and for me, the the problem here. Hold on, the thing is, is if if I can, if a film sets me up to to believe an underlying worldview or an underlying uh, level of logic, then I will accept whatever happens in that, as long as the logic holds. And to me, mm-hmm. the things that you've described, the logic holds, even if they are inconceivable 
Perhaps. You're literally <laughs> arguing my argument in the Jurassic World review. You know that. <laughs> no, right? no, but the thing no, is, you are. That's exactly. We are arguing the exact opposite. The thing is, and the my diff- point is, the difference is, I don't believe the logic of Jurassic World in any way, shape, or form. So you believe mm-hmm. because they showed a random Indian father looking for his daughter twice. Yeah, that this yeah, logic I do is believe that. End. I completely believe that. Whereas <laughs> you I, don't, because the st- because the script sits that up don't and you then pays it off. at the end too. Don't you expect that to be the case? Yeah, is I expect that, she's that gonna char- bail him out. Yeah, I expect that character it's, to turn up. As soon but as he it's saves so her, obvious. It's, it's so poorly done. It's so obvious and so but unneeded. This, this is the overexplanation thing too. Like the, this, the Indian father looking for his daughter. Like how many times does he have to? Every time they're going to move, maybe they have my daughter. Maybe she's there. I think and then the other idea that, that he runs into that helps him and he's and he's able to finally get these words out and he says you know they killed my son and he's oh mm. I too have lost my family or he's like come, come on are you I, I think that's part of the the, the I think that th- that to me is part of the on the one hand, a positive of this film, which is that that idea, like I'm, and I'm sure this is probably a term that's out in the world, but uh, narrative appropriation. So where you're taking a, a true um, story and then appropriating it into a different form for a purpose. And and I and I think, like for example, when I mentioned Foxcatcher earlier, I think Foxcatcher does a poor job of appropriating a true story for an alternate story that doesn't work. In this case, I think they they do that because they want, one of the things, you know, like if you look at film, you know, like classic Westerns, like The Searchers, for example, is that their portrayal of Native Americans is really poor. And this film is going out of its way to have scenes with Native Americans with agency. And, the, the you know, the one scene that's important with that father is when he meets the French, Toussaint, I think, and, and says to them, you've stolen everything from us. I'm going to take your horses try to stop me. And, right. I, and I think that's and, the most and important. And when he stands up and talks about how you've stolen everything from us, again, it's this forced dialogue, this forced writing. And the thing that pisses me off about a movie like this is kind of like we were saying, this, this certain percentage of how accomplished it is, that I feel like if you give this to a good writer for a day, yeah. you can clean all this stuff up and then go spend nine months shooting the thing and making it brilliant. And just need one day with a good writer. It's like, Which is odd on, because also I had, the, I, had the prob- I had the opposite problem with, with Birdman, which is I felt that it had a a narrative flaw that I didn't really buy into. Um, uh, we're not going to, do you want to yeah. get into Birdman? Or? <laughs> we're already at an hour. We'll probably yeah. go another 20 minutes. Yeah. yeah. Um, but Jess, I feel like you're like itching to say yes. something to jump in here. Oh no. I, um, I, I guess we forgive movies that do what we're talking about whenever they look more fake. I think that this is getting a lot of criticism because it looks so real. So you expect more from the story. You mm-hmm. Because it looks real, you expect the story to feel more real. Mm-hmm. But that's not, it's like what she here is saying, that's not what they're setting up for us. Like yeah. You have to accept what they set up from the very beginning, which was that things are going to conveniently happen. <laughs> Yeah. And you I felt like I knew what was going to happen throughout the movie and I wasn't mad at it. I was just like, this is what this movie is. And it's an, it's an experience. And I feel like for all of like the 3D and like blockbuster type stuff that that banks on trying to give us an experience, this did that by just bringing it back to the minimal. Yeah. And and like, a, you know, like for me, the the. The more the the most powerful moments were when he was trying to solve small problems. Yes, right. That's, yeah. where, this movie, that's yeah. where this movie. But the, but I that's think- that's the problem. It could have been we were talking about like just you just keep it simple because you don't need it, it was they try they overwrite this it they overdo this it doesn't need all that crap that other because it's kind an experience yeah and and because it's so accomplished that just mm-hmm. makes it really annoying that they screw that up <laughs> you know it's like, 
but like, uh, but I agree. I mean, again, like I totally recommend this movie. It's an absolute experience. Mm-hmm. It's a phenomenal cinematic experience. You have to go see it. But if we're really going to dig into this as a great film or not, like these are major problems. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. I just feel like they're they're trying to put focus and emphasis on things that other movies that you're going to see aren't putting emphasis and focus on. And I, th- I felt like it did a good job of that, but yeah, I see, I see what you compare it to, right? Are yeah. you comparing it to, to Jurassic Batman or, 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 or you there's know, a lot of similarities to Jurassic Park. <laughs> I think we are comparing it to Batman, yeah. but, but do you compare it to Jurassic Park or do you compare it to, to like last year at Marion There's a great film in history that is also a cinematic experience. And you know, I'm, which way do you I'm, go? I think you know? I'm comparing it to Somewhere movies in the middle. that move yeah. really fast. I think yeah. I'm, it goes back to like the cadence for me. Like it goes back to, we're used to quick montages and we're used to, we want as much of an experience as in a short amount of time as possible. And this is giving you, it almost plays out in real time, you know? Yeah. With jumps, with jumps. I think it plays out linearly. It tries yeah. to feel like it's playing out in real time. Yes. I think it, it plays out linearly, part, but not necessarily no, in real time. No, no, because time. literally yeah. to heal the way he healed would have to be months. Well, right? the, the true story but, took months. But yeah. but I think the to the filmmakers and everyone involved's credit, it does give you that feeling of mm-hmm. of feeling like you're going through this experience in a, in a similar amount of time that he did. And I think a lot of that has to do with the smaller moments that we mm-hmm. all brought up that we said we liked yeah and, and, yeah, I think, like, and the way Chiba filmed it too or the, well, I mean the way that they filmed it right yeah yeah well you know like uh like um uh cauterizing the wound on his uh on his neck with a uh, gun right, that was that's great. I mean that like yeah. that's that's such a great little yeah. scene yeah. you know yeah and then you looking know looking for food and yeah, like, yeah eating grass and all that shit yeah, yeah. I think that's, cutting open a horse and then climbing in oh, it like God. a goddamn yeah, tauntaun yeah <laughs> um so we, something I just I realized we're at an hour and the the main we didn't even set this up the main thing is Tom Hardy's character uh, what was the name uh, d- d- Fitzgerald Fitzgerald is basically kind of a scumbag who is set to set uh, he's kind of a scumbag. <laughs> You don't so think you're he's just a had a physical reaction. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I thought one of the most one of the one of the most interesting things about his character was I completely understood his point of view the entire way through, I, and I was like. If this was just one degrees of a slightly different movie, you would be on, he would be the good guy. Here's the he was a, I thought he was a, a complex enough character. I thought he was a more interesting character. Like the captain, I thought was really weak. Yeah, I thought Dommel, was weak, yeah, and Dommel the writing of his character, character is weak. But you know, I thought his character. At was really first, well in the first half of the film, I could see where you would maybe think he's not a pure scumbag. Like he's he's trying to survive, and he got hired for this job, and he feels like he's getting screwed. But but the way they kind of butter him up to be the scumbag, and eventually steal all the money and run away like a real scumbag. <laughs> yeah. uh, but the way they sort of butter him up in this film is kind of laughable because he gets into a random altercation before Leo even gets attacked by the bear. He starts harassing him about his Indian son, yeah, his Native American son. And right. uh, so, okay, so you already get like, oh, he's the he's yeah. the bad guy. And then he decides to stay back to keep the money from the other. Basically, when Leo gets injured, they decide the party decides they can't move on with with carrying him around. So they were going to deliver the pelts and go get help. And they wanted three people to stay with Leo and two. Leo's kid, uh, some other random young person, and this bad guy who's already determined that he fucking hates him decide to stay back because he'll get a lot of money to do it. Sure. Great. You know for a fact he's looking for any moment to kill them and leave them and come back as a, a hero that fought valiantly, survived, get right. his money and leave. It's true. It's, and then it's, he eventually murders. Yeah. Now, here's the thing, how you can relate to him and how he's not a bad It's not that I can relate to him. I just think that his his rationalization is kind of sound in that moment, which is Until that like, he... you are going to, like, if there's three of you, 
like trying to get through the wilderness and one of you is near death, Until the he, humane thing is to put that person to death. Sure, I, but I, he's I, not doing it for humane reasons. He flat out murders he, Leo's he murders the son, son yeah. because he saw him trying to Oops. humanely, quote unquote, right. kill Blink. the father. And after he basically like tricking him with this whole blink if you want to die. That, that's one of those moments in the theater where yeah, everyone laughs. Like, oh, it, really? My, well, the, well, my experience in a good way. The, and like, my, my experience was that when he everyone, says blink again, everyone's like, you know, like oh, I, all I was doing was like holding my eyes open and like trying not to blink. I was like, <laughs> yeah, me too. I was like, he has to blink. That's a, like, yeah, it's not gonna. Well, work. How long yeah. can I hold you my just eyes? Inevitably, <laughs> have to blink. Yeah. Uh huh. <laughs> but I mean, that's the other Hollywood problem is that they're they're afraid of duality. Everything's so singular. It's mm. like this guy's good, this guy's bad, and that's another thing this film suffers from. And I think because Hardy played the role so well, and Leo mm. played his role so well that. Although they're they're really singular characters, it, it works, and that which is the problem I had with the captain that he's so singular. But it, I thought his performance was weaker too. But there isn't, you know, that is another issue I have with the film. It's like where is this complexity of in in theme and you know, so the depth, like philosophically, if you're looking at the film, but and also just in each character and all levels of the film. Well, you know, like I mean, the other film that does this kind of. This kind of rationalization of survival much better is like Meek's Cutoff, the Kelly Reichard film, which is about, uh, okay. Meek's, Silence. Meek's, <laughs> Meek's Cutoff was kind of a, a revisionist Western, which came out a few years ago. It has, um, what's her name, who used to be married to um, the guy who played the Joker. I'm going blank on it. Oh, completely. Michelle Williams? Uh, Michelle Williams was in it. Um, Kelly Reichard, uh, the filmmaker, she did Old Joy. And the film basically is about uh, the the traveling caravan of people who are trying to get from like trying to get to California yeah. and they run out of water and the whole film is about like making those equations you know like sure. how far can we survive right. and who needs to die or, or who needs to live in this equation um, and I think and I think if you're looking for a film that has the kind of duality in it the kind of moral duality that played for for a more intellectual purpose, then Meek's Cutoff is something that you'll, you know, you'll probably right. really enjoy. But it's not as exciting a film. Uh, and it's not as, yeah, it's not as geared towards the, the, the frat boys, you know, in the crowd <laughs> or, as, or the, or, you know, even, even the Oscar, you know, like contendership mm -hmm. of films. It's, it's not geared towards that sort of thing. It's more of a anti-Western, anti-establishment kind of film. See, I, I want, I want. Inarito and Lubeski to get these that script right. and put their talents to. I think like Inarito, I think is a great director. I don't think he's a good writer. I have this, I have so many in all of his films. I have a problem, and I think that he's he's not a very good writer. But he, he I think he's he he is an exceptional director if you can separate that from writing, which is hard to do. But you know, just you know, technically in, in his performances, I think he does this amazing things. And I I wish that he someone would give him a really good script yeah. that he wouldn't. He, he wouldn't touch, but they would explain to him, you know, what it means. And he could, they could engage with him on like the, the complexities of it and then let him execute that with you. You know, it's, well, I had this interesting uh, experience with Inaritu because, you know, he's one of the, the trio of Mexican filmmakers, right, that, Guillermo del Toro, uh, uh, Alfonso Cuaron yeah, and yeah. Inaritu are the three, you know, yeah. uh, <laughs> Mexican filmmakers that have like made a huge impact yeah. in Hollywood. And I've always thought that 
Guillermo del Toro is kind of the fantasy filmmaker. Alfonso Caron is, the, is to me, is the, the true artist. Mm-hmm. And Inaritu is somewhere in between. But I used to teach film studies and I used to teach auteur theory. And this the, the best tool I had for teaching was these really weird films that BMW commissioned back oh, in the day, yeah. the BMW short films. Yep, that was, I remember and, that. And, there were, and here's the thing, though. Shorts. You know, like, and so basically the, the premise there is that they had Clive Owen as the driver who'd be driving a BMW. And they had, like, all these amazing directors come in and direct one short film oh, for each of so them. Oh, good. I will say, I thought all of them were terrible. I loved them. <laughs> like, Guy Ritchie did one, Wong Kar Wai yeah. did one, Inaritu did yeah. one. Where's the one where Gary Oldman plays the devil? Who did that one? I think that's Ang Lee's one. No. Uh, I'm pretty sure that's It did Ang not feel like Ang Lee at all. Anyway, yeah. it doesn't matter. That one's the Either best. way, I thought they were all terrible, except for Inaritu's one, which was basically, he did one of the most, the boldest things I, I think I've ever seen a commercial filmmaker do, which was that all these films were basically product, you know, commercials for BMW. And in in Aritu's film, he took the BMW across the border and had uh, the driver drive the car through one of the poorest villages in Mexico and have everyone look at this, at this car as a symbol of like, Everything that right, that is right, wrong in right. the world today, and it was like and he was, got away with that, and he got That's away amazing. with it. It was kind of amazing. <laughs> so I always thought he was Good a filmmaker him. that had something to, you know, he had a lot on his mind, but he wasn't, as, you know, to me, like like you're saying, he didn't quite. I th- I think he never quite delivered narratively on his political instincts. Right. I mean, he has that in this film too. He's <laughs> he's playing, you know, obviously with the the Native American situation. And, yeah. You know, and, and like in that scene where he's yelling about his son and, and then he's, uh, Leo says, you know, they only see the color of your skin. Yeah. You know, and, and in the theater, uh, I heard someone say, you know, actually exclaim out loud when he said that, like, yeah, yeah, that's right. You know, something like that. It was like, you know, people can react to that, but I think that it's, he tends to be simplistic and maybe in a commercial, you know, essentially a commercial for BMW is probably <laughs> yeah. a perfect outlet for, for, for that exploration, the way that he does it. But you know, it's, it, I wish you would explore these things, which are, which are great to explore with a greater depth and complexity and, right. and you know, I, I think there's complexity there. It's just, it's kind of a bit of a muddle. And I, you know, like as much as I'm kind of defending this film, there are, there, it does get muddled and it doesn't work but, in places. But just, I, and then we can move on after this. I just want for the record you to state, <laughs> cause this has to be a battle between Matt and me. It does. It does. <laughs> I just want you to state here that you do not have a problem with the conveniences of this film. I don't because I think they're set up. <laughs> Which is the exact argument that I've had before. I just want to, we can go back. We can go back to the tape, but I just want that. That's all. We can now move on or talk about anything else. Very clear. <laughs> all right, moving we should, on. We should come up. And are there other major points uh, that we haven't brought up yet that we'd like to discuss as a group or do we'd like to move just to sort of final thoughts? Because we hit, we're about it. We're about it a minute, a minute. <laughs> We've been talking for a minute about an hour and some change, which I'm happy to go a little long if we have stuff to speak about. Um, you have a ton of notes, Jess. I don't yeah, even know. What what yeah, I want to hear from you. If you want to jump in with something brand new. I feel like you were pointing to the two Greek gods that I, I wrote down did. in my notebook earlier. Uh, what is that? <laughs> the reason I wrote Kronos and Kairos was because I, whenever I was talking, whenever I was talking about, um, this being a disruptance in, in people's days and how like it, I felt like the novel thing that it was trying to do was it was trying to get us to slow down and wake us up for a moment to experience something that is very, very simple in a deep way. 
And I, one of my favorite speakers did a talk about these two types of interpretations of time and how back in the day, around the time that this would have happened, when you would ask people what time it was, you wouldn't say 10 p.m., you would say winter. And so I felt like it, I felt like it played into where like in a very, very like, like fast paced, like what I was saying before, like the movies, there's a, there's a lot to try to experience in a short amount of time. And we treat time like it's this constantly think this thing that's constantly refilling rather than like paying attention to like these disruptances that sort of like wake us up. And so that I felt like it applied here because I was like, oh, this is something that this is doing and this is why it's special um, compared to everything else that we're seeing. I, I right. totally agree. Yeah. yeah. And, and anything that's trying to bring film to this experience again. And, and I think it's, I, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm a fan of like same thing. Hateful Eight, I think was a, you know, an experience mm-hmm. and these, these films that are pushing the cinematic experience that can, mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's the idea is to, 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 to make you, to, to have you pause and to think and consider your, your own ideas and your, your life. And, mm-hmm. um, although there are weaknesses and I do think the way that it's set up as an experience and the way that it can sink into you viscerally like that, I think it does accomplish that, which and to me is a huge, huge accomplishment. Absolutely. It does. It makes you feel, I mean, to the best of any film's ability of, of truly making you feel like you're in a place just by watching a place. Uh, this thing excels a hundred percent. In fact, I turned to uh, my girlfriend afterward and I was like, well, well fuck. Like, I mean, any complaint I've ever had is now null and void because could you imagine living? I mean, we just imagined living there for two and a half hours and you're like, fuck, that sucks. Like, could you imagine being born into that shit? And that was everyone before now. Like, that's insane. And to have that feeling of sort of like, I don't know, like how 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 people lived their life back then and even sort of just like having something feel so real on that level is a nice kick in the uh, the uh, metaphysical face to just sort of wake yourself up and yeah. be like, yeah. slow the fuck down. Yep. Your life is amazing. Just go live it. I don't know. I had a very go live it sort of moment <laughs> after that just because, I mean, I my driving force, at least at this point, who knows what... Um, demonic packs I'll make in my future, but it's not revenge. <laughs> like revenge is not my driving force. No. Uh, so it was just, I don't know. I think, I think it did a wonderful job sort of doing that and, and doing things that actually very few films do. I can get lost in a film, but not the place the film wants to take me. This movie, this movie made me go to a play. It held my hand and led me very comfortably. And then shockingly in some ways into a place to, to live for two and a half hours. Again, I'm going to go back to Jurassic World. Jurassic World never did that. <laughs> Jurassic World turned my brain off where yeah. this movie turned my brain on. Yes. So and, but but it but like this dragged me into and your it body and, and everything, right? right. Yeah. Yeah. And and Jurassic World is just one of those things where I'm like switch and then in 2 hours I'm like, "Whoop, that was fun." Like <laughs> mm-hmm. but I'm not yeah. thinking about mm-hmm. the esoteric problems or things that are going on and the people like, "Wow, those people suffered so much when that mm-hmm. giant fucking sea monster ate that thing." No. I I <laughs> I just really think this movie did a wonderful job at taking you a place and a time. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 I'm, I'm never going to Canada ever again. No. <laughs> no. I think I think for all the failings of the film, 
you know, that we've identified and talked about here, I think it's still such a powerful experience. Mm-hmm. For sure. Uh, and it made, you know, like I, I was watching it going, I'm such a wuss. Like I would not, you know, like I would, <laughs> I would barely survive like the hike, you know, let alone the, the being mauled by the bear, you know, after that, I, I, you know, the thing that I, uh, you know, like my final thought <laughs> is just one topic that I, I, are we I, doing final thoughts? Is this well, I, I want to give you a funny tidbit based on that. Inyarito and Chiba had been talking about this movie for a while. Yeah. And they um, and Chiba said, you know, I think it's time to make this film. We're getting older. I don't know if we'll be able to make it later. Right. It's such a hard, I mean. I'm, it's such a hard yeah. film to make. Yeah, yeah. totally. I, and we feel that very you much. Feel, <laughs> yeah, you feel the difficult. But then again. And then the director of Mad Max, Max comes is 72 goes, years old. Up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was just going to say but that. But no, it's very true. Not everyone can be that dude. Uh-huh. Um. And, you know, the one thing I was thinking about was the fact that this is a very guy film. And for some reason, the yeah, story. The oh, hid- really? Yeah. What? <laughs> the, the headline that came out was from Matt Drudge, who wrote, uh, you know, the Drudge Report. And he wrote this he- headline about how Leo Leonardo DiCaprio in the latest Fox movie gets raped by a bear. And like, because he, he watched the movie and that's what he saw. And I was like, and, and you know, and like it led to this like strange thing that happened in the press where Fox, um, Fox Pictures had to like re- do a press release where they said Leonardo DiCaprio does not get raped by a bear in this movie, <laughs> which is the strangest press release you'll ever have to put out. I'm sure. That, but I the, guess, isn't that the bro way of saying that he got attacked by a bear? Is that you got raped by a bear? I guess. Well, I don't know. I've never seen That's very true. And a lot of bro in and I don't think and, Matt Drudge is a bro. And particularly uh, like in in <laughs> shitty shitty gamer culture, a lot of like, oh, that man, you got fucking raped, dude. No, no, this dude wrote on paper like, he is raped by a bear. Oh, uh, like uh, narrative. Oh, yeah. Sorry, continue sharing. Yeah. Well, no, I just the interesting thing about that, you know, given that this is a very male driven film, it's a very much a guy film, is that he completely ignored the fact that a real rape happens later on in the movie. Right. Like, and just glossed over right. that as though that was just matter of fact, you know? And I, and I think there, there is something to the fact that this film, while beautiful and stunning and, and does an amazing job of giving you an experience, it has that problem, which is that it's white man with native affection and mm-hmm. man with, you know, being driven by the memory of a woman. You know, it's it's just a little yeah. like... I mean, uh, that's, that's one of the yeah. absolute yeah. worst things and he's in the also, film. That's brought, the sentimentality I was talking yeah. about. I mean, it's just terrible. And he, he's super magical, too, and especially it, when the, her voice starts coming out every yeah. time. I was just like, God, no, please not and again. Also, <laughs> and also, when he's traveling with the captain to hunt Fitzgerald, the moment that I just went, shut yeah. the fuck up, like yeah. audibly, yeah. Then, when he's like, he's like, smoke. And the general goes, how far? I knew it. Yeah, I knew that was the moment. I knew it. I knew it. He holds his hands up and he does a little sprinkle thing. He goes, a mile, whatever. You're like... I knew that and, was the moment. Yeah, you know, like it's one horrible. thing that it's it's so weird. I, I don't know why. I, I mean, I, I'm thinking of like two or three films that have done this, but like I think that I'm really like, I don't think too many films do this, but it really annoys me when a film does this is like the glance to camera at the end of, you know, uh, the final no, glance to camera. He just, went full on Snake Plissken <laughs> at the end of this movie. Snake Plissken uh, at the end of the critically acclaimed film Escape from L.A. Yeah, I was going to mention the 400 blows, but, you know, whatever. <laughs> the exact same fucking thing. Oh, it and was it's hilarious. Just, it's, just the, it's just this, like, it's a moment of meta-narrative storytelling that is not, in a film that is not about that in any way, shape, or form. What do you think, audience? Yeah, it was like, 
it was yeah. you all along. Yeah. You know, like I just yeah, uh, it's, it doesn't it doesn't yeah. make sense. The, the only film. fourth yeah. wall breaking I want in my films is in fucking Deadpool coming out in February. That's all yeah. I want. Yeah, I'm fine with it if it works for the film, and this, right. there's just no place for that. I just, yeah. no. It's a stra- it's a strange moment. I I do you know like oh there was an interesting thing as well. Um, again, how many people watch Birdman? Yeah, I, I, I watched Birdman. You yeah. know the the kind of there was a narrative. There was some narrative continuity when he sees like a, a comet through the sky, which is something that we saw in Birdman and seemed to be part of his his dream. I thought that was kind of an interesting connection, given that the films came out one year mm-hmm. after the other. But you know whether it works or not. Or the the thing with him looking at the camera there, it's like you. The whole movie has been this effort to make you feel like you're there, that it's real. It's all about not bringing forth. So at the very end, when he does that. It's like, okay, now you've been here this whole time. You've felt this, like, like you're living this experience. And now I look at you, which is supposed to shift that, which, you know, I, you know, in theory, you want that to work. Like, oh, that would make you think more profoundly about, you know, the experience that you just had. Because now you, you know, now you know, oh, I wasn't living that. I was watching or something. But it just, I just don't, I just all don't I get that, it. It doesn't, moment, it just didn't. Yeah. All I got in that moment was when he turned, I, my brain went from that imag- that wonderful mm, magical yeah. place that I turned it to, and I was like, oh, we're at the end of the movie now. Wow. To be perfectly honest, I don't remember him looking at oh, me. Oh, wow. wow. Okay. Wow. Yeah. That was that was a good time to look away. <laughs> I, I <laughs> Jess, Jess, were you checking your sports scores? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's probably, predictive. Yeah. <laughs> It's probably bro hair in the way. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we've been going for a bit. Let's do, I mean, was that your final thoughts? That was kind of my wanna, final thoughts, okay. yeah. Uh, Jimmy. Yeah, final thoughts. Final thought. I gave all my thoughts already. I mean, yeah, I mean, the final thought, the, the summary, summary of it all, I guess, is it is very, very special. It's an experience. It's truly, you know, cinematic, you know, however you want to define that. But it's it's this experience that, that takes you uh, somewhere that most films don't. I, I think it's it's quite unique. Uh, and uh, I think it's unmissable for those reasons, it's particularly in the theater. You know, I, I really urge you to go see it in the theater and not wait uh, to see it at home. And uh, and it has weaknesses as as a film. Like in history, I, I don't think it's going to go down as a great film, but it's unmissable as an experience in the theaters. Even if you're not a filmmaker, I think that they've transcended the oh, it's worth seeing because you're a filmmaker and you need to learn from it. It transcends that. And it's it's an experience for someone who's not a filmmaker. And uh, therefore, you should you should go see it. All right. Jessica. Yeah. Uh, I feel a lot of the same and I feel like I got what I paid for. I wanted the experience. I knew it was going to be special. Um, I probably won't see it again. Mm-hmm. I saw it one time in the theater. It's probably all I need. Um, I feel like I also sound like I feel like I was defending it a lot. And I like <laughs> she here said it's like I I did like it and I do. But I do. I will admit it's flaws. Um, but yeah, I, I would recommend it to someone else. And I mean, I will say that it is a fan for all the reasons we mentioned before, a fantastic revenge movie. In fact, I would say it's a revenge movie, a fairly typical revenge movie done to the umpteen, like the highest echelon level that a revenge film can be done. Technically. And And it does it. Yes, technically. And it does it with such just crazy passion for thing for filmmaking in general. Uh, that it 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 it's definitely worth a see and 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 see it in the theater if you can. Uh, I, again, you know, I'm not going to nitpick it any more than I did. There are problems, and if you're the type of person like me that gets more bothered by problems, the more almost near perfect you get with something, mm-hmm. that might right. bug you a lot. 
but it's definitely worthy of its sort of Oscar contention and it's and it's worthy of your time and your box office dollars. So if you're if you're going to see that or what what the fuck else is out right now? Like uh, um, the only other movie I've seen this year is Daddy's Home and it was ugh. a laugh. <laughs> really? So it was funny? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I, I, that review I, is not the way I thought that was going to no, go. No, I thought it was going to go completely opposite. <laughs> it's not great, but I laughed a lot. I, I feel like Hateful Eight's the obvious other one. It's it, we're, They're doing something kind of similar. Yeah. And, and yeah. Yeah, it, but I, I I feel like this is a much stronger experience to me than the Hateful Eight this was. This is a stronger I experience, agree. and it's a more visceral experience, but right. I did enjoy the Hateful just on a personal level, just yeah. from story and the way that the styles that I particularly like, uh, I enjoyed Hateful Eight more, but that doesn't mean that I think it's a better film in in my. If I had to, if you want to water everything down, Revenant is a quote better film on paper than Hateful Eight is. Hateful Eight is more enjoyable to me to mm-hmm. watch, and I will go yeah. back to yeah. Hateful Eight even for the sole purpose I've said it before in the review. I'm not sure if I'll like Hateful Eight a second time of watching it because I like when I watch a mystery. The mystery is like a really sort of like the primal thing of what I yeah. want to do. I'm super curious to see if I enjoy it again. This one, I'm just not even curious to watch again. I just had the experience. I enjoyed it, and I'd like to move on. I think they're both great experiences that should be seen. Yeah. All right. <laughs> so well, make time for both, and don't schedule anything afterwards. Yeah. So, exactly. Exactly. Have some time to think about it. Yeah. Uh, Jessica, where can people find you when you're not quoting Greek gods? <laughs> <laughs> you can find me on Twitter at Mother Tucker and on Instagram at Just Tucker Three. Excellent. Excellent. Jimmy. You can find me at jwjferguson.com and on Instagram at jwjfilms. Excellent. Uh, everything you can find about me, Shahir Dowd, is at www.shahirdowd.com, S-H-A-H-I-R-D-A-U-D.com. We also have an email that I never remember. Oh, you don't. If people, good people, have been writing us and talking to us about they movies. Uh, we really enjoy your feedback. If you have anything to say about The Revenant, please write us and tell us what you think. Uh, were we wrong? Were we right? Were we completely indifferent to what you think anyway? Um, <laughs> our email is onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com. And we have a Twitter account at onlymoviepod. We also have a Facebook account, which we update. Once in a while. Sure. Yeah, well, whenever, <laughs> but check it out and subscribe stuff, and like us. And, you, know, you know, yeah. Also, uh, if you watch us or watch us, if you watch the screen while listening to us on iTunes, please leave a review. Obviously, five stars is preferable, but we'll take the ones. Yeah. Um, just any, any sort of write and review and tell us what you're thinking. We'll, and if you got a great idea for something we should talk about or a style or some sort of, you know, little bit and piece that you think we're missing, we would by well, all our, means. Our next movie has been recommended to us by a listener. Admittedly, it's a listener we know, but but uh, yeah. But, uh, yeah, so we will take uh, recommendations from listeners as well. Of course. And you can find me at Matthew Kroll. That's M-A-T-T-H-E-W-K-R-O-L.com. You can also find me on Instagram at Skeletor, the number four P-R-E-Z, and on Twitter at Emperor MSK. And uh, guys, uh, Jessica, Jimmy, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, so, yeah. so much insight. For the only podcast about The Revenant. What a privilege. Thank <laughs> you. Know. Uh, Nobody's talking about this movie. And you no. mean, so you can tell your friends that this is the only one and mm. you got to be a part of it. And we're very happy that you were. Uh, I guess until next time, uh, sleep indoors, I guess would be my, my <laughs> I was thinking of titles for like the sequel. Revenant 2, The Revenge of the Revered Revenant was my best one that I came up with. <laughs> <laughs> the Revenant 2. Uh, everyone's still alive for some reason. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, know. no, it, but it's The Revenant T-O-O. Oh, oh yes. yeah. 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 Two Revenant, two Yuri. I don't know. The, no, Revenant, uh, the I mean, Revenants with a Z? Or the Revenants. <laughs> or, yeah, no. In, yeah, instead of, no, do the aliens thing. It's The Revenants. 
There's multiple revenants. Revenants resurrection. That's what it needs is more revenants. Yeah, I think I think you really got to amp it up next time. Anyway, guys, thanks for listening. I got nothing. Ah! I got nothing. <laughs> 